Our scripture passage this evening comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises for her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The passage that we just read is incredibly famous. It's sometimes called the Magnificat. It is Mary's song that she sings when the reality of her situation starts to sink in. It's a song about the meaning of Jesus' birth. Not just for her, but for all of humanity. It's about the great mercy of God that he would send the world a savior. But for many of us living in late 2022 in the Lake Norman area, it's a sentiment that falls flat. In fact, most of the songs we sing around this time might fall a little flat, not just Mary's song. Because all of these songs, all the great old hymns, they presume a sense of need for rescue. We sang, Come thou long expected Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Or, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel who mourns in lonely exile here. Songs like this, the Christmas hymns, they share this sense of need, a desire for rescue. But does that really resonate with our modern lives? I heard an interesting term this week, apathyism. It's not atheism, the belief that there is no God. It's not agnosticism, the person who's just not sure if there is or isn't a God. It's the apathetic person, the person who just doesn't care if there's a God. I think a lot of people are like that. It's the person who just says, I, you know, I don't really, I don't really see the point. I don't really see the need. How is that going to benefit my life? My life is fine. 
My life is good as it is. Why does God really matter? And so that's where I want to start this evening. That's kind of our, our premise. Before we can dig, start to think about these other hymns, about songs of rescue and deliverance, first I want us to talk about what makes God seem unnecessary in our lives. What makes God seem unnecessary? And then what are some better questions that we can ask? And then finally, what are some of the answers? What are some better questions we can ask? And then what are some answers that Scripture offers? So what does make God seem unnecessary? I think the simple thing is that when we, we don't have a sense of need, we're not sure why God is important. If we don't really have a great sense of need, we can be kind of fooled into thinking that understanding anything about God is irrelevant to us. There's a place in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus interacts with this rich man, a rich young ruler who turns away from him. And you might have heard this before. After the guy turns away, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished and they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He says it's harder for a rich person to come into the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But that's not a comment about the special sinfulness of rich people. It's just a fact that having lots of wealth tends to dull your sense of need. And money is not the only thing that does that, right? Certainly not, right? I think health, those things will dull your sense of need. Having lots of power, having lots of privilege, those things will dull your sense of need. If you have money and power and privilege and health and beauty, well, that can help you out with some of life's biggest challenges, right? It can lessen the burden of living on this earth. Now, between those things, you know, money and, and beauty and, and power, you know, I don't think I have a ton of them. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I've, I've not got some inordinate amount of any of those things. Maybe, maybe in some kind of global sense, you know, I, I do have a lot of privilege, uh, a lot of power relative to, to the rest of the world. But, but I have never had the kind of power that I could just throw around for one time when I was 12 years old, right? When I, was, when I was growing up, there was this celebrity golf tournament that they used to have in my hometown. It was the Crosby. Does anybody remember that? It was in Winston-Salem for a few years. And, and I, the company my dad worked for had some kind of sponsorship deal with them, I guess, where it gave, they gave them these, these VIP passes. And they were really nice. They were actually, they were money clips little metal money clips that you like put on your clothes. And if you had this pass, you could go anywhere you wanted. And I remember being, you know, a, a goofy middle school kid, and I had this pass, and Jack Nicholson had just, just finished making A Few Good Men, like right at the height of his playing golf. And I just lifted up the rope, and I just walked right up to the green where he was, you know, <laughs> playing golf. <laughs> and, I, and deep down I knew I shouldn't be here. I'm not supposed to be here, but then I said, but I've got the money clip. And what are they going to do to me, right? I was, I was drunk with power. 
And as I think about it, you know, I imagine that's kind of a, just a, a fraction of maybe what it feels like to be Jeff Bezos every day, right? Just do whatever you want, whenever you want. Who's going to stop you? Now, I don't think we have any billionaires in our crowd tonight. Um, I don't think any of us are living in that kind of extreme power and privilege, but, uh, but I think we could be a little bit sedated. I think we could be a little bit drowsy in our lives. I do think there are a fair number of people living around the Lake Norman area who, are, who have just enough to say they're doing all right. Maybe things aren't spectacular, but they could be a lot worse. And when you're in that position where your life is just kind of fine, it's okay, it's good, and you hear a Christian talking about faith, you can wonder, why do I need God? How would that really help me out? How would that benefit me? And, and we live in this very consumer-oriented culture, too, right? Where we're always, every day, being offered hundred marginally better life, right? On the radio, there's a guy, and he's telling you you need to buy gold. And on the Internet, there's a guy, and he's telling you to buy crypto. Your neighbor is over there swearing by their low-carb diet. There's the infomercial telling you you need a, a, to buy a Peloton. Somebody's trying to buy, give you some essential oils. And there's all these things that are constantly being forced at us, telling us this is going to improve your life. And sometimes, I think Christianity can feel just like another one of those things. Like another prepackaged sales pitch. And maybe it's especially that way today, because I, I look online and I, I see there's a lot of churches and their marketing campaign doesn't seem that image. It's all about popularity. It's all about getting your attention. And so you see that pitch, scroll by with everything else, and you say, I just, I'm not sure that's for me. How is God really going to help me? And so I want to suggest in the next few minutes, that if that is the way you're approaching Christianity, you're already kind of off course. That Jesus isn't really interested in being an add-on to anybody's life. And the choice to follow him is, is not the choice between burn boot camp and the YMCA, or between net arts with how will I benefit? What will I gain? Is it worth all the hassle? We're asking the wrong questions. So what questions should we ask? This is the second point. What are the questions, the better questions, that I think you should ask? It's not how do I stand to benefit. The question that we need to ask when we're considering faith is a simple one. Is it real? Is God real? Is it true? Is there really a God? Does he exist? Is Jesus who he says he is? That's really the only question that matters, because everything else follows that. What you should do about it, it all flows out of that. So let's look at the passage again. Thinking about the, the birth of Jesus, where these are famous moments, famous characters. They tend to be pretty saccharine characters, honestly, in our mind, right? I was unpacking my Christmas stuff this week, finishing up my decorations, and we pulled out our nativity scene and I'm putting out all the little pieces, and I couldn't help but look at them and think, man, these things are so cheesy. <laughs> like, like, they're all like 
clean and nice and shiny. They're in these beautiful robes. Like the baby Jesus has this giant halo attached to his head. It's all, it's just, it's not the way it was, right? It's so saccharine. It's so, it's so, I don't know. But Mary reminds us here of what it was really like, of the world that she really was a part of, the place and time that she really lived. Verse 42, she says, one of the reasons why she's so excited about the birth of, of Jesus is because he, he has brought down, God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. It's a song about rich people starving and kings being overthrown. It's about revolution. It's about vindication of an oppressed people. There is a gritty realism that you don't see in the with no wealth, with no social capital. A Hebrew woman who's living in a nation that has been conquered and occupied by this Roman government, and she is rejoicing at the coming justice of God. She realizes that this new life in her womb means that God has kept his word, that he's not going to let the guilty people go unpunished, that he's not going to let her people's suffering last forever. It means that God has broken in that he's coming to set captives free. Mary's life, her circumstances, her situation is quite a bit different from the person whose life is just fine. And you might look at her and say, well, it's easy to see why someone like that would want salvation. It's easy to see why someone like that would, would need a savior. But to the person who's doing just fine, maybe this, this moment could be just a reminder to us that, that being just fine is kind of an illusion. Happiness is a state, not a trait. It's, it's temporary to look at your life right now and say things are going pretty good, but just wait, right? You know, I, to make this point, I had looked up some charts that I, could sh I was going to show you on the TV about, like, the shape of human happiness and how over life this is what happens to our happiness and this is where it ends up. But I scrapped all that because in the middle of writing this sermon, my friend called me and he told me that his son died. 32 years old. He's doing just fine last time I talked to him. And now all of the sudden... Their family is going through this devastating loss right in the middle of the holidays. Something their life, their life is never going to be bleak for an illustration. But that's reality. Even while we're doing great, even while our life seems fine, we still have to turn on the TV or, or open up the, the news page and read about the horrible realities of our world, right? Shootings all the time and poverty and racism and, and inequality and, 
And, and you, have to, you look at the news and you say, this world is not just fine. Maybe I feel like I'm doing okay, but this world is, is not fine. And so that brings up another question. What do we do about that? What do we make of the shape? Do we just do our best to ignore it and put our heads down and try to stay as happy as we can for as long as we can? The question I was trying to address is, my life is good, why do I need God? And I think one of the answers that comes from Mary's song is, things aren't as good as you think they are. Your experience of this moment might be fine, but someday reality is going to come calling. And that reality, eventually it's going to be impossible to ignore. What is that reality? The reality is that the, this world is not the way it's supposed to be, where brokenness prevails. And even though it seems like the world has been that way for as long as we can possibly remember, all that bad, it still seems wrong, doesn't it? All that bad stuff, it seems like it just shouldn't be this way. Even though the, the strong have always preyed on the weak and the proud and the prideful have been able to get away with evil things, it shouldn't be that way. We know deep down that, that that's wrong. When we lose people, even when we lose our, that death feels like it's too soon, doesn't it? That person's absence feels wrong, doesn't it? Well, in that place, Scripture says, the reason this world feels like it's wrong is because it is wrong. The reason you cannot accept that painful stuff, the reason you spend your life trying to be happy and trying to outrun the sadness and the pain and the death is because you weren't made for this. Those things don't belong in this world. Scripture tells us that God, He created us to dwell with Him. And instead of trying to ignore the pain and run past the pain, what we really need is to find the one who can deliver us out of it. We need a Savior who will come and fix it and set it right. And Mary's song tells us that's who Jesus is. That's what he came to do. So the question can't be, how will religion, how will Christianity benefit my life? The question is, does the way I feel about the world make sense if there is no God? Or is the shape of this world pointing to how can faith improve the quality of my life? The question is, does God exist? And if the answer is yes, then what do you need to do about that? So here's what answers the Bible gives us for those questions. Here's the third thing I want to say. Here's, the, here's some of the answers the Bible gives. Well, first let me say, Mary, when she sings this song, 
She's singing because she knows that in her womb is this miracle that nobody could have imagined. The Messiah is what the the Bible calls it. It means the anointed one. It's this person who brings peace once and for all. When the prophet Isaiah spoke about him hundreds of years before this moment, he talked about a moment when, when God was going to come and he was going to level the playing field. Isaiah 40, he says, that in that time every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And here Mary picking up on those same themes in her song. She says that that leveling, that means that, well, the proud are going to be brought low and the humble are going to be lifted up and the starving will be fed and the greedy. What would you call a moment like that? Well, it's a picture of judgment is what it is. It's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of justice, real justice, where the guilty... Get what they deserve. Where the corrupt people who have preyed on the poor finally have to answer for what they've been doing. Where the evil tyrants of history have to face the consequences that they seemed to escape while they were living in wealth and power. It's a picture of something we know needs to happen. Has anybody... Ever been to see Handel's? I took Ruby last year. She let me know it was kind of long. <laughs> but it's a, a beautiful uh, concert to be a part of. And early in the concert, there's this moment where this deep, booming voice comes out. And he's singing about this moment of judgment. And he says, thus saith the Lord, in a little while I will come and shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, I will shake all nations. And then he says, and here, behold, the Lord, he's coming into his temple, and it's this, you know, kind of bass rattling moment. Here God enters to judge. And then after that, immediately, another and very haunting voice. And the singer asks the question, but who may abide the day of his coming. Who will stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. It's a really insightful moment. The singer enters the stage and asks this question. If there really is a God like this, who is holy and righteous and perfect, a God who is coming to erase the imperfection and the evil and bring justice for all the oppressed, who can stand? Who can live up to that standard? Who can pass that test? Well, the answer, of course, is nobody. Nobody can stand. But then back to Mary's song, As the story unfolds, Mary reminds us here that God has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. 
And this is the heart of the Christian faith. It tells us that there is a holy God, but he's also loving. Because we couldn't stand, he sent someone else who could stand. He sent his son, the Savior. Each of us, we have all played our own part in the wickedness and the brokenness of this world. We have contributed to the pain, if we're being honest, right? We've hurt people that we love. Our selfishness, our ignorance, our indifference to the suffering of other people. And when the Messiah finally came, the one who had been promised for generations, everybody assumed that when he came, he would be riding in on a white horse with a sword, slaying his enemies. The gospel message is that, that he died for them, to rescue them. This is what all those Christmas hymns are singing about. It's about salvation. It's about justice and mercy at the same time. That, that when God brought his justice, he brought it on himself. That Christ took the wrath of God for sin and we through faith in him, get Christ's justice instead of ours. We get reconciliation with God. We get a perfect record before God. We get a place with God forever. If you think about it, she hadn't seen it yet. She didn't know what was coming. She's saying that the Messiah would come and he would restore the broken situation of her life and of her people. But he came to do a lot more than that. He came to restore all of creation. He came to remove all the pain and all the sorrow and all the sadness. He came to make it possible for us to dwell in the presence of God forever. Now, you might be here and you might say that your life is good, but I promise you it's not that good. <laughs> it's not that good. And I'll say, even if you don't believe this, I, I hope that it, hearing it, it sounds great. I hope you would at least want this to be true. And, and, and doesn't the shape of the world at least kind of say it is? Doesn't it seem at least a little bit likely that there is a God? Well, I'm here this evening because I, I want to tell you there is. There is a God, and he cares for you. And you know what else? I've actually I've been hiding this part <laughs> towards the very end. He actually he will make your life better. <laughs> what, how will he make your life better? Well, I it won't be the way you think. It's not going to be what you think. He will transform you. He'll, he'll give you different desires. But I'll tell you this, and then said afterwards, things were better before. And so with that, I want to transition over to this table because this is a place where we get to respond to the word.